Hello, and welcome to Inventors Helping Inventors. I'm your host, Alan Beckley, inventor of The Wonder Wallet. If you're an inventor searching for proven ways to make money with your invention, if you dream to see your product selling in stores everywhere, you've come to the right place. There's no better place to get help than from experts, inventors who've already achieved success. Every week, I interview successful inventors, asking them the questions you want to know. Tune in to learn from the experts so you can get your invention out of the tank and into the bank. Parlayed that into a job at Pfizer where really all I did for them was invent. They believed that invention was something that could be scheduled and that it could be driven by a process that you could optimize which sounded like a really cool idea to a 20-year-old me, and joined Pfizer and started inventing new medical therapies and have been doing so ever since. IHI Nation, don't you absolutely hate to miss out on something good? I want to share with you that my premier training for inventors, the Inventors Bootcamp, well, registration closed at midnight Sunday, last night, so you just missed out. However, I provide for listeners to my podcast only, if you act quickly and you're listening on Monday, the 9th of October, you'll get an extension. You can still sign up to join the Inventors Bootcamp. So you'll get five days of live Zoom meeting training. It's going to teach you how to compare and contrast your invention versus the competition to make it stand out. And then from that, you'll create a clear, concise, and compelling 30-second pitch for your product, the kind that gets attention with marketers. So how do you sign up and still get into the boot camp? Make sure to register today, Monday, the 9th of October. Just go to allenbeckley.com slash bootcamp. And oh, by the way, all this training, the five days of live Zoom meetings, is available to you for only $47. But you can't wait. This is the last day. and it's only open to podcast listeners like you on Monday, October the 9th. Again, to join us tonight in the boot camp that starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, just go to allenbeckley.com slash bootcamp. Many podcast listeners just like you have joined us in the boot camp and are making progress and gaining traction. I look forward to seeing you in the boot camp tonight. I want to check in with you and ask you a few personal questions. Are you about to make some big decisions? And you're about to spend some money, maybe a lot of money. And are you wondering if you're on the right track or about to make a big mistake? Well, what if you could book a strategy session with a successful inventor who's been there, done that, and can point you in the right direction? Now you can. For a limited amount of time, I'm offering only to podcast listeners the opportunity to book a 30-minute strategy session with me absolutely free. Now I'm only opening five slots for now, so don't wait if you want some help. So how do you schedule your strategy session? Simple. Send me an email to alan at alanbeckley.com and in the subject line, please put strategy session. 
I'll reach out to you, find out what's going on, and we'll schedule your strategy meeting. Once again, if you're needing some help and guidance, just email me at alan at alanbeckley.com and put in the subject line, strategy session. Look forward to talking to you. Welcome to episode number 344. Today, I interview Greg Lambrecht. Greg Lambrecht is the inventor, founder, and board member of Corvin Incorporated. His devoted passion for wine, engineering degrees from MIT, and successful career in medical technologies converged when he innovated the wine tech sector by creating a wine preservation system that uses a non-coring needle to pass through the cork while it's still in the bottle. This groundbreaking wine technology launched what we know as Coravin today. Since that first device, Mr. Lambrecht has continued to innovate, launching additional products for still and sparkling wines that give consumers and trade professionals alike the freedom to pour any wine in any amount without feeling the need to finish the entire bottle or fear of wasting a single drop. In addition to his role with Corvin, Mr. Lambrecht is also the founder and executive director of Intrinsic Therapeutics Incorporated, a venture-backed medical device company focused on addressing the needs of patients with spinal disorders. You'll want to listen to this entire episode as Greg talks about how inventors, by having unique perspectives, create innovative solutions that others overlook. Also, why he chooses to invent items that imply a change in behavior of buyers and the challenges with that tactic. And then finally, how he has improved and expanded his product line by embracing those who seem to hate the product, understanding them, and then turning them into strong advocates. Now, let's get right to our interview with Greg Lambrecht. Greg Lambrecht, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having me, Alan. I really appreciate it. You bet. Greg, I'd like to start by asking, can you share a bit of your background with our listeners? Where did you grow yeah. up and go to school? And what did you do before you became an inventor? Yeah, I, I don't know if I can answer the last part. I think I've been inventing my entire life, but I come from an engineering family. A lot of relatives, I guess it's an inherited disease to be an engineer, but I started off in physics, interested in trying to solve the world's energy problems. And I thought fusion was going to be the way that worked. And so I, I went to MIT, studied for four years, as many, took as many fusion classes as I could, went and worked in the field for a year and a half and realized it wasn't going to happen. And so left, went back to college and started working on medical ideas, I studied biomedical engineering in grad school and lucked into a job consulting for J&J &J on a project they were working on that involved a, a thin needle that was used when somebody came into the, into the hospital to put a catheter into their hand or their arm and invented this thing and wound up being successful. I parlayed that into a job at Pfizer where really all I did for them was invent. They believed that invention was something that could be scheduled and that it could be driven by a process that you could optimize, which sounded like a really cool idea to a 20-year-old me, and joined Pfizer and started inventing new medical therapies and have been doing so ever since. Of course, I also fell in love with wine, which 
resulted in Corbin. But I guess I've been an inventor my entire life, one way or the other. Thanks for sharing that with us. I think it's interesting you say you came from an engineering family. I'm an engineer also, but I, I think you said it was an inherited disease. Is that what you said? I can't remember who said that to me first, but my grandfather was a, a well-respected aeronautic astronautic engineer. And he had a big impact on my life and basically said to me, I've worked in weapons development. You should work in medicine or energy. We'll never have enough of either. And it was really impactful advice for the 11-year-old that I was when he gave it to me and designed my career around that sentence that just, I think, fell nonchalantly out of his mouth. And it's, it's been a great way to lead a life. Yeah, it sounds phenomenal, especially diverse background and fusion energy, something I'm quite interested in as well. But but also just the fact that ever getting it to the point where it produces more power than it consumes and some of the other challenging aspects of creating fusion energy and getting it to work. Yeah, it's, I still love it. I still pay attention to it. Ultimately, any energy source has to compete with pulling black stuff out of the ground. And, and economically, pulling black stuff out of the ground is unfortunately cheaper. And so I think fusion one day we will get to work, but whether or not we'll ever make it cost effective. I don't know. And so I've, I've really fallen in love with solar power is essentially the exhaust of fusion. Our sun is up there and, and, and doing fusion all the time. And we pick up the energy and light. And I think that's solar power and batteries, wind. These are the proven paths forward. And I think we still have a lot of headway to go there. Greg, you have a palate, as you mentioned, for fine wines. And like most wine connoisseurs, you enjoy savoring the flavor of a great vintage wine, but you hate the flatness and flavor that comes after a bottle is uncorked and only partially consumed. You felt there had to be a way to enjoy a partial bottle of wine and drink more from it later, yet somehow retain the full original flavor. Can you share with our listeners the aha idea that caused you to invent Coravin, an innovative way to tap into a bottle of wine and pour a small glass without the remainder becoming overly oxidized and flat in flavor. Can you share that with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. So I, I fell in love with wine when it was probably illegal for me to do. I think it was 16. I was raised in California. I went up to Napa Valley, tasted my first wine. I was like, wow, this stuff is magical. And I love all wines. It's not just fine wines. I, really, if somebody's put care into making their wine, they can make something that smells great and tastes fantastic and something you enjoy sharing with a friend. But the downside of it is that when you remove the cork or you unscrew the screw cap, you wind up exposing the rest of the wine to oxygen and wine oxidizes over time and winds up getting a bunch of off flavors pretty quickly. You can drink it over the course of a day or two, but that's it. And really what I love about wine is that there are so many different kinds of wine being made all over the world. I fell in love with California wine first, but then my wife at the time, her family drank exclusively European wines. So I love the wines from Spain and Italy and France, and then later on Australia. And I wanted to be able to explore these wines at my own pace. Ultimately, you open a bottle and you wind up drinking that bottle until it's gone with a friend or your spouse, and then you move on to the next one. And what I wanted to be able to do was to taste three different Chardonnays from around the world, or three different Cabernets from around the world, side by side. And in order to do that, I had to pull the cork on three bottles and I wasn't going to do that. And so I started to get frustrated that in order to taste a wine or enjoy a wine or even find out whether or not I like the wine, I had to commit to a whole bottle. A whole bottle is about five servings. 
And so when you think about it, you can get beer by the glass. You can get wine by the glass in a wine bar. But when you're opening a bottle, you're committing to five glasses, whether you want them or not. And so I thought, is there a way that I can get any amount of wine from any bottle I own whenever I want without having to think about when I'm going to drink that bottle again? I believe that inventions come from a unique perspective on the problem, uh, a new and unique understanding of the unmet need that's being experienced. And it's my practice as an inventor to sit down with a sheet of paper when I'm running into a problem and saying, what is the problem that I'm experiencing? So I remember sitting in my dining room table, writing down a better way to preserve an open bottle of wine. And I was like, well, that's, that sort of exists already. There are vacuums and spray cans, but really you're still on the clock. Those only preserve the wine for two or three days. What I want to do is taste the wine today, drink it again next year and not have it be different. And so I thought, is there a way that I could teleport wine out of the bottle and into my glass? Because the cork's doing a great job of preserving it. If I can just get past the cork and take the wine out that I want, that would be awesome. And so luckily, the very first product I developed for Pfizer was a chemotherapy delivery system. It was an implant that was underneath the skin that we would access with a needle over and over again during the course of somebody's therapy. And so I got really good at making needles that didn't do damage to things when they went in and out. And so I thought cork's elastic. I was holding a bottle in one end and this needle from this chemotherapy system in the other end, thinking there's just got to be a way I can get wine out of this bottle with this needle. And so the, the other driving force was my wife at the time was pregnant with our second kid and then stopped drinking completely. So I'd, I'd lost the partner that was going to be drinking the bottle of wine with me as she took a break from having glasses of wine. So I think it was the, as everyone says, need is the mother of all invention. I had a heightened sense of need. And luckily I had the technical skills as a medical engineer and as a physicist to be able to figure out how to get wine out of the bottle without any air touching the wine that was left in the bottle. And that was really the breakthrough. Thanks for sharing that. And as you were describing that, going through and just now talking about your background and how that came to play, I think it was Steve Jobs that had famously said that you connect the dots in your life and you look back 5, 10, 15 years and something you did when you were in college or something that seemed perhaps trivial and not even particularly important or some particular direction you went, that only 10 or 15 years later, did you look back and say, oh, wow, that was quite formative and shaping of the direction I'm going now. So that's the connecting the dots in reverse, as it were. I also liked what you had to say about really as an inventor, creating a perspective on a problem. And when you looked at the idea of saying, okay, especially your wife's pregnant with your second child and she can't be your drinking buddy and you hate to open a wine and know that the flavor is going to be ruined unless you drink it all, that you were thinking, okay, so there ought to be a way to just extract some of that wine and preserve the rest of it. And we looked further into that and said, there are some things, but they're only good for a couple of days maybe. And then that's when you came up, I love what the, the term you said if there was a way to teleport the wine from the bottle. And then connecting the dots going backwards, essentially was with your background with Pfizer and doing a lot with needles that don't do damage. And then saying maybe a needle through the cork could do that. And to me, from your story, that sounds like that was really the genesis of the aha idea. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Even the physics career, 
I guess we all are a culmination of all of our different experiences. And that gives each of us our own unique perspective on what the problem is and how to solve that problem. Luckily, I had been a physicist and I'd worked with noble gases and noble gas plasmas. And so I remember when I was trying to draw my first glass out, I took a syringe, put the needle on the syringe, stuck it through the cork and tried to suck the wine out. Any doctor uh, would have tried. And it didn't work because it created a vacuum on the inside of the bottle that would pull the wine back in. And so I thought, okay, I've got to be able to push the wine out of the bottle into my glass without allowing any air in. How do I do that? I thought if I essentially inflate the bottle, if I inject an inert or noble gas that has no chemical reactions, and that pushes the wine out of the bottle into my glass, I can pour as much as I like and then pull the needle out, the cork will reseal. And all that's left in there is the wine and this noble gas that has no smell, no taste, no chemical reaction. So I, it's, it was the compilation of all of my experiences, even my failed career in, in fusion, along with my medical career that, that gave me this sort of unique perspective. I've had a, a bunch of people in the wine industry say, why didn't I think of this? And I think it's because they were in the wine industry, right? They hadn't had those particular experiences that made them aware of these different solution paths that were out there. I'd like to just highlight the last point you made. Often somebody who invents something new and innovative is coming from the outs outside of the industry. You weren't part of the wine industry in any size, shape, or form other than just being somebody who enjoys wine. And people within the industry would wrestle with the same problem, no doubt, but they would be looking at it perhaps in very conventional ways, which was limiting their thinking. And that's one reason there's so much room for all of us as independent product creators, because we come at it from a different place. No, I, I very much believe in that. And uh, I run invention programs to start medical companies now, and, and I'm still inventing over at Corbin. We've moved from the original system, the needle, the argon, and the valve that controls it uh, to push the wine out to a newer system pivot, uh, all based on customer needs being expressed to our sparkling wine system, uh, to a very new system called Vinitas. And all of those inventions came from, I think, our, as a company, as Corbin company, our unique entry into the wine industry where my engineers, only a few of them drink wine. They certainly never worked in the wine industry, but they worked in the product industry. And they take all of their understanding, technology, and solutions on how to solve problems. And they put that to bear on solving the wine industry's greatest problems. And I, I very much believe that, and I frequently will hire interns that have great technical skills, but no domain experience in the field that I'm working, whether it's in medicine or in wine, because they come in and, and they can be shocked by things that we all accept as normal. And that yeah. shock is that expression need. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense to me. And you've generally described how the product works, I would say. And one question I had is, can you, this is this a podcast so people can't see. So can you give a bit of a visual description as to what your product looks like? And a couple of other things. Uh, how long can that original aroma and flavor be retained once the bottle is first tapped? And also, could a buyer drink several glasses of wine spaced out over perhaps one month without a loss of flavor? Can you answer those questions for us? Yeah, absolutely. 
So the original product is the timeless. Uh, we call it now timeless. That's because you can drink the wine over years. You can have a glass today. You can have a glass in a year, a glass in five years. And that glass in five years will taste the same as a bottle that had never been touched. And we proved that through blind tasting all over the world with sommelier as well as winemakers and their own wines. Uh, the way that it works and why it's so effective is really because it depends upon the beautiful natural nature of cork. Cork is one of the most elastic solids humans have ever found. You can crush it 90% of its size, come back to 98% of its size. That's how it seals so well in the neck of a bottle, is they compress the cork down and stick it in there. That's how they seal it. And we use that elasticity to reseal after the needle is removed. So the Corbin Timeless is about the size of a paperback book you hold in your hand. It's got a thin needle that goes through the cork when you push down. It's got a trigger. And when you press that trigger, argon gas, uh, one of the noble gases that's actually in the air we're breathing. It's also a gas that winemakers use to clear the bottle of any air before they fill it. So argon gas goes into the bottle. And then that gas pushes the wine out of the bottle and into your glass. And then when you're done pouring however much you like, pull the needle back out and the cork reseals. Because it reseals so well, argon's so inert, as long as you store the bottle well, keep it cold on its side, that wine will last for years without noticeable change from another bottle that, that was not accessed by Coravin. So that's the, the basic idea of Coravin. I, I, it pours a glass in about 20 seconds. It's, it's used by uh, wine consumers like myself to just have a perfect glass of wine any night of the week. And if their spouse wants a different wine, they can have what they like. And if a friend comes over, instead of offering them what's open, you say whatever you like, pour them that. It's also used by restaurants to serve wines by the glass to their customers without waste and to offer more variety of wines by the glass. Some restaurants are offering hundreds of wines by the glass using Coravin. And then it's used by the wine winemakers themselves to check in on their own wines, uh, wine importers and distributors. One of the things that we've been lucky as Coravin is that the Coravin system didn't just have value to other consumers like me. It wound up being picked up and used by the trade uh, in ways I would never have anticipated, which has been great. I always pay attention to my customers' expressions of needs. And one of our biggest countries using Coravin outside the United States is Australia. And I go down to Australia two, three times a year. And, and uh, one restaurant tour named Lou uh, is my favorite customer need expresser. And, and I was sitting at a dinner with him and he looked at me and he goes, I like Coravin, but I think it pours too slowly and I don't need my wines to last for five years. And I want it to work with every kind of closure, not just cork. We use a lot of screw cap down here. And, and there's glass corks and plastic corks and all these other things. Can you make something that pours faster and the wine just needs to last a month? And so on the airplane back, I sketched up the pivot, which is our, one of our newer systems where you remove the stopper, whatever it is, and very quickly place our stopper. And then instead of using a needle, we use a big tube, same argon gas. And that big tube will pour glass out of the bottle in seconds. And then you seal the cap that we've got. The wine lasts, doesn't last for five years, but will last for a month. And so uh, it's more affordable for the consumer. It's more convenient for the restaurateur who's busy and has to pour quickly. And so that's really how Coravin has continued its invention process is somebody expressing a need. I remember when I launched the original 
forum and somebody from the press said, does it work on sparkling wine? And here I'd spent 11 years developing the original Corfin and had worked so hard to make it work. And all of a sudden, the very first question is about a wine it didn't work with since we just recently also launched Corvins for sparkling wine, a new system that uses CO2 and has been going great. Used at restaurants and wineries and at home again. That's amazing. What I'd like to highlight for our listeners is how you did what every inventor should do, but some do not. And that is you listen to your consumers. You ask them, what do they like? What, are they, what do they not like? What would they like to see? And when they offered something forth, like the gentleman from Australia, might have been not what you really wanted to hear at the time that, gee, it needs to pour faster and I don't need it for a year, but I need it for a month. And could you create something that would do that? I'm sure on the plane ride back home, you're thinking, wow, that could be a really broad market for something that would do that. And probably, I, I'm guessing, probably the bulk of the market, a month would be fine. There's people who certainly would want longer. But so from that came your pivot product. And then later again, some, somebody wanting sparkling wines, and that would require you to make some change as well. But also I'd like to highlight, this happens to almost every inventor, and it's really something very cool. And that is your product expands into places you would have never thought originally. Like you might have looked at this as predominantly a product that's a business to consumer, but then it turns out people in the trade liked it, the restaurants, because they could pour wine by the glass and not have to throw away wine and uh, winemakers as well. So it sounds like you've developed a nice, broad and diversified product line for it. And we've, we found a rich environment for invention. Wine is a, and this is also another thing to pay attention to. As an inventor, I seem to always invent things that imply a change in behavior. We had, since cork and glass has been used since the 14 or 1600s, We've designed our wine consumption experiences around the volume of sale, the 750 milliliter bottle, glass bottle with a cork in it or a screw cap. And so we drink it when it makes sense to drink that volume. When the sp our spouse likes the same wine or friends like the same wine, that's when we drink wine. But there are all these moments when we, when we want just a great glass of wine and we don't do it because we know we've got to commit to the bottle or we buy wines that that are less expensive, perhaps what we want, but we're willing to throw it away or use it in cooking. And Corvin implies this change in behavior, this freedom to drink whatever you want by the glass. And you can think as an inventor, wow, once I launch this, it's going to take off. What you have to be cautious of, and I've learned this in medicine and spades, is the conservative or not so conservative nature of the market that you're launching into. The sommelier or the keepers of tradition. The winemakers are keepers of tradition. Wine writers can be very conservative. And these are people that are going to talk about your product. And so it's extremely important that you understand those people and their lives and the nature of their culture and their resistance or acceptance of change as you think about launching a new product that changes behavior. Because I call it the kiss the ring strategy. You can think, well, invention is so great. It's going to change the world and everything's going to be wonderful. You really need to pay attention to the sort of the beacons of that culture or that part of society that you want to enter. And my experience has taught me that making friends with them, making them aware of your invention before it's broadly public, 
and letting them try it out, having conversations with them, not only gives you the chance to improve your system before you launch, but also makes them feel like you respect them and, and value their opinion. And then they become your spokespeople. Selling a consumer product is expensive. There's 35 million people in the United States who drink wine on a regular basis. It's expensive to try to reach all of those people on a road. But if you get all the sommelier and all the wine stores and all the wine writers, all the wine makers on your side, they'll do that initial marketing for you. You made a lot of great points there. And I, one of them that I particularly like to highlight, because it's one that I make with inventors as I'm working with them myself, and that is you highlighted that your product evoked a change in behavior. And this is a dual-edged sword, as you may know, because anytime it requires a change in behavior, sometimes people are a little reticent to change the way they've been doing things. And as you described it, this change in behavior was a behavior they would prefer. In other words, I think if my only choice is to have that whole 750 milliliter bottle of wine in one sitting, or I could have just a glass and preserve the flavor, that change in behavior is one that is easy for me to take on, I would say. Now, the flip side is, and some people forget about this because it's been quite a few years, but when the first iPhone came out, the behavior people had, and they were very adapted to, was using a little clicking keyboard. And they liked their little clicking keyboards and flip phones and all the rest. And then this glass thing comes out and they said, where's my keyboard? Oh, you don't really have a keyboard. See, it lights up and you just tap on the glass. A lot of people weren't real crazy about that tapping on the glass business because it was a change in behavior that was not one they were necessarily seeking. So it took a while and probably a few millions of dollars to get people to make that particular change in behavior. So I just like the, the fact that you highlighted as an inventor that you must pay close attention. I call it to the consumer experience. And if you're asking them to change their behavior, that's something you need to do with some care and some research. You realize as an inventor, I like how you summarized it, you need to realize as an inventor that there's a lot that goes into making a product successful. And launch strategy can play a huge role. And it's so much less expensive to do the launch up front because we are customer better than anybody else. It is, it's the least expensive part of market development is understanding your customers, getting out there, speaking to them, showing them your prototypes, involving them in the development of, of what you're working on. It doesn't cost you much, but what it pays back on the launch is just extraordinary or can be. It's important to be very conscious of the decisions that you're making when you're introducing a new technology particularly one that changes behavior implies a change in behavior. It, to be really conscious of every one of the choices that you're making about the launch and positioning of your product. And it, and it comes down to knowing where those points of resistance are going to be. And it, it's the other piece is don't run from people who slam your product, right? They, there's this one sommelier in, in a restaurant in Germany who wrote a hate letter when he found out about Corvin telling me why I was the second shooter on the grassy knoll and I was getting between the magic of wine and the consumer and 
I had a cellar full of hormones stuck piglets and I was the GMO of wine. It's very negative about Corbin. And I could have turned away and said, oh, that guy's a crackpot. Forget about him. He doesn't agree with me or with what I'm trying to do. I'll just work around him. What I did was booked a table for one at his restaurant, flew out there, sat down, waited until he came by, and then invited him to join me. And he wound up joining me after the second or third course of what was a very expensive meal. And we had a conversation, sometimes argument, uh, but I was writing down everything that he said until four o'clock in the morning when finally we agreed. He actually looked at me and he said, so what you're telling me is this is a wrench and I shouldn't love or hate a wrench. I use a wrench or I don't. And I said, yes. And he was like, okay. And he became one of our biggest users of Corbin in the restaurant world. And I learned almost every reason why somebody would culturally push back against Corum and was able to incorporate that into the marketing that we had around the launch of the product. That's an absolutely amazing story. And I really love the fact that it illustrates, again, thinking in a different way because we tend to be defensive as inventors and companies and that we tend to push back against our critics, especially if, hopefully, our critics seem to be few in numbers. And instead, you embraced the idea of, let me go meet this guy. Let me sit down with him. Let me have a meal at his restaurant. Let me spend some money to go out there and let me find out where he's coming from. And because you were willing to do that, you turned a critic into one of your best advocates. But in the process, you learned the way he and other people might view your product. And then you could then adapt your marketing accordingly. So it seems like that was an ingenious plan all the way around. Let's appreciate that. It, it's important to listen to the people who love what you've done and who hate what you've done. The worst inventions are the ones that do not invoke any passion, right? I, I love and hate are both strong emotions. And you know you've got something important when you stimulate one or both. It's people feeling neutral about what you've done. That's the da most dangerous sign. So I'd like to ask, where's Corbin sold generally? And approximately, what would you say is a typical retail price point for Corbin? I know you have different products, so it's going to range. Yeah, pivots between 99 and 120 some odd dollars. That's the one without a needle. The Corvin Timeless start in the 160s to 170s and go up to 300. It's really fit, finish, and color. Uh, I always advise people our Model 3 is the least expensive way into Corvin Timeless. Uh, that's the least expensive one. Does everything that the, the more expensive ones do. It just comes in one color. I hope you like uh, gray. And then Corvin Sparklings are most expensive. It's most recently launched. It's predominantly used in restaurants. It's at $3.99 and sometimes discounts down. It changes the way you drink sparkling wine, for sure. Where we're available, we're available on Corvin.com. Come to our website, Amazon, as well as our big retailer, and then Total Wine and Spirits. And then many of the big retailers like Best Buy and Bloomingdale's also sell Corvin. So pretty easy to find, pretty broadly distributed. We're in over 60 countries now. So there's a Coravin dot, whatever your country name is, 
So you can buy directly from those websites and Amazon seems to be spreading all over the planet as well. So you can get it there. So as we roll towards a close, are there any parting words you'd like to leave us with? Invention is a creative act, but it's not enough. I don't think of myself as an inventor. I think of myself as an entrepreneur. The difference is that an entrepreneur wants to use that invention to change the world. And so many people think the inventive step or the invention is all you need. It takes a lot of work past the invention to actually make something that will then change the world, even if it's in a small way, and find the best people that you can possibly find to join you on your mission to change the world with whatever the invention is. Build the greatest team because I would be nowhere without the incredible people at Corvin now around the world. If your goal is to invent, go ahead and invent and file patents and hope somebody uh, runs into you or a license. But if your goal is to change the world, it's a wonderful career to be an entrepreneur of finding like-minded people that you can bring along on a mission to use that invention and the inventions that follow to change whatever that aspect of the world is, whether it's in medicine or it's in wine or it's in uh, home, other home technologies, power, automobiles, whatever it is. Entrepreneurship is a career that you know, I've had for the last 23 years, and it's been fantastic. A good life. One of the great strengths of the U.S. It's certainly something that I absolutely agree with as well. And it's important for an inventor to know that invention is just the beginning, and we call them product developer for a reason. You have to turn it into a product that the public uses and knows and appreciates. And ultimately, as you described, like an entrepreneur, you need to change the world in some small way. And that's really what it's all about. My last question then is how can our listeners reach you if they have other questions? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Greg at Coravin, G-R-E-G-A-T-C-O-R-A-V-I-N, Greg at Coravin. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram, DM me. It's the same on Twitter or X, whatever it is now. You can also find us at our website at coravin.com. And then I'm out and about always tasting and drinking wine with folks around the country. Hopefully we can share a great glass of wine together. Talk about your inventions. Thanks a lot. Again, at Instagram, it's Greg at Coravin. And that's, that's C-O-R-A-V-I-N. And then your website is coravin.com. That's it. Greg, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast with us and to share really your journey here, your experience of developing this great product and the things that you've learned from talking and sharing with customers. And I'd like to have the opportunity, maybe another six months or a year to touch bases with you again and find out what you've got going on at that time. I would love it. We'll share notes on how to invent, how to, how to change the world. Thanks a lot. So you're done searching for your product and it's not out there. Yay. Maybe you filed for a provisional patent and done some marketing research or surveys. Heck, maybe you've even created a rough prototype, then found that, although it kind of works, it looks like something from the Stone Age. You'd be embarrassed to show it to your friends, much less to a manufacturer for a licensing pitch. What if I could put you in touch with a guy who offers free consultations, takes no money down, no money up front, 
and will give you a quote on your project before he starts. What if I told you that this same guy can help you design your product and make you a virtual prototype before you ever put a penny into building a physical one? What if I told you he could make you patent drawings, CAD files for manufacturing, and even make marketing videos and build you a website? If this sounds like someone you want to talk to, let me introduce you to my first podcast sponsor, Brian Keast at I Draw Dreams for Inventors. With three and a half years of trade school and 15 years of mechanical experience working as a mechanic for General Motors, you have someone that's seen countless design failures and how they were fixed. Also, he had a 25-year career as a general contractor who designed his own houses and remodels on computer-aided design. In getting plans through countless building departments, he gained a tremendous amount of experience by working directly with structural engineers. The many years of combined experience in these two careers gave him a unique look into stresses and failures in design. He brings this wealth of knowledge and experience to his company, I Draw Dreams, as the CAD guy who will design a product for you that will work. Every inventor I've referred to Brian has come away delighted with the work he has done for them, and I think you will too. Just make sure to tell them that Alan sent you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Inventors Helping Inventors. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss a single episode. Talk to you soon.